Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, a Red Shirt Friday edition. Nonetheless, Paul Engler, where's your red shirt? I didn't get the memo. <laughs> I've got red, one, but I re- didn't get the memo. Remember, everyone deployed. Actually, it started, I, th- I find this interesting, Paul, and people lose sight of it. I've been doing it for 18 years because I learned 18 years ago that the women at the end of World War II suggested, and within the VFW, suggested that every man, woman, and child should wear a red shirt just to say thank you to those returning home from the beaches of Normandy and France and Italy. So that's why I re- wear a red shirt every Friday. I I had never heard that. Really? You need to get out a little more. I guess so. You know, I, I, I guess I can't, if it's been that long, I can't blame COVID for it, right? <laughs> no, I don't think you can blame this one on COVID. Coming to us from the hills and the hollers of Tennessee, Paul Engel, founder of the Constitution Study, author, speaker, and uh, I won't hold it against you that I found you through my dearest friend on earth, Marty Beard. He's, yeah. a, whack, he's a whack job. Hey, Marty was great. When I was up in Bismarck, uh, as, as you know, I was up in, we were up in Bismarck for Midwest Freedom Fest, and uh, he made some of the best catfish I've had in the longest time. And uh, we got the night before, he made catfish and hush puppies and fed us till we were stuffed. And the next morning I show up and he's got bacon and eggs going. And it was, he was great and had a, and and had a great discussion with him and his family. It was wonderful. Yeah. Must have been a different Marty Beard. Uh, <laughs> so w- when I first finally got my act together, because Marty's been begging me to get you on since that day, <laughs> and finally this week I got my act together, and I said to you, oh, man, Paul, if I'd only had my act together last week, we could have done this on Constitution Day. We could have. Lo and behold, guess what? Today, September 25th in constitutional history, 1789, the Bill of Rights is adopted. So uh, it's happened for a reason. Well, it's interesting um, because it wasn't, uh, I don't believe it was ratified. Uh, The the Bill of Rights Day is generally December 15th. for dealing with, uh, so uh, it was approved on September 25th. Actually, ratified in December. Correct. So, you, because they're because the Bill of Rights are amendments to the Constitution, um, they have to be proposed. They don't mean anything until they're ratified by three fourths of the states. So, uh, yeah, it was. Th- this is when they submitted. And so, here's a piece of trivia: mm-hmm. How many amendments were submitted to the states? For the Bill of Rights. Twelve. Exactly. How many of them have been adopted? Twelve. No. Eleven. So I was actually digging, and in, in then here again in my poor planning, I was trying to find out what two were not taken that so, day. The first two. So the first, <laughs> the, the, the first one, which I believe um, set the limit, said the... Uh, you had to have a member of the House of Representatives for every 30,000 people in a state. Right. That was never ratified. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one was you could not vary the pay for a congressman 
until after until the session the, the, until the Congress after it was voted on. That was adopted in 1992. Uh, I always called that they could not give themselves a pay raise. It, it, well, yes and, and no, because and that's a little too abbreviated. Yeah, because basically, if you if you vote for a pay raise, you have to stand for election if you're a member of the House mm-hmm. before you actually get the money, which makes sense. Now we only it's only one third of the senators every two years, but it it it's a uh, a logical restriction to say you know hey you voted for this we want to make sure the people are okay with that before you actually get the money. So I want to start here. Uh, no, let's just start somewhere else. Or, or whether I had it in my mind, uh, what is the purpose of the Constitution? Well, the Constitution. If you want to understand why we have the Constitution, the best place to go is to read the preamble. It explains why we have a Constitution and what its purpose is. So we all familiar with the first three words, right? We the people. We the people in order to form a more perfect union. When we declared independence in 1776, we had 13 free and independent states. Now, today we tend to think of states as subdivisions of the federal government, but they are not. They are on par with any other country in the world. They joined together under what's called the Articles of Confederation, which is where they received the name the United States of America. That document, the Articles of Confederation, had some serious problems. So after the war... Um, they elected a, a, a Congress to revise the Articles of Confederation, realized they couldn't. Legally, they couldn't. There was no amendment process to the Articles. So the delegates sent back to the states and said, we want to start from scratch. Let's start from scratch. Why do we do it? To take the union that was created and make it better. To make a more perfect union, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, most of all, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. So one purpose for the Constitution is to secure the blessings of liberty, right? To to mm-hmm. have a union of justice, of <clears throat> liberty, of uh, you know, a, a common defense. The other purpose is it created the federal government. What we know of as the government in Washington, D.C. did not exist until it was created by the Constitution in um, 1787. I want to go back to something that you said that I've become a better student of and better uh, understanding. I think too many people still don't get it. Your quote was almost like this. States have as much independence as any other country. States' rights is basically what we're talking about. Maybe 2020 has brought a, a better awareness to the individual states and the rights of a state and the people within a state and how important a governor is that we're not just one country. We're a country of 50 independent states. Well, exactly. And, in fact, if you read the Declaration of Independence, um, you'll notice a couple of things. One is it says that these uh, colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states with all the powers thereof to declare war, to sue for peace, everything we'd expect of a country. But they even go to so far as to say that we dissolve ourselves of all re- political relations with the state of Great Britain. 
Mm-hmm. So that means the state of New York, the state of Massachusetts, the state of Virginia, the state of Georgia, we're all saying we are now on par with Great Britain. We used to be colonies of Great Britain. Now we're on par with the state of Great Britain. But we're not, we're not taught that. Um, I believe, you know, I, I posted a video a while back saying, can some good come out of all the, the craziness centered around COVID-19? And I believe there is. Part of it is people seeing uh, just how tyrannical uh, so many of our states have become. What concerns me is twofold. One is I see way too few people standing up and saying, uh, wait a second, this isn't right. I mean, I, I see people whining and complaining, but let's face it, there aren't a mm-hmm. lot of people actually doing anything. So my concern is that the vast majority of the people, even if they think there's a problem, they're going to whine and complain and then go back to you know their Netflix and not worry about it. Um, but the other is how often the people are now running to the federal government to fix their problem. That shows me that they really haven't learned that not only did the states pre-exist the federal government, the states created the federal government. The federal government is a creation of the states via the Constitution. That means the states hold power over the federal government. And yet, what's everybody complaining? Well, Trump didn't do enough. Right. They don't understand that the states supersede the federal government. They don't understand that constitutionally, there's very little Trump could actually do. It's actually Congress's fault because Congress hasn't done what it could do. And a lot of it is um, uh, uh, a lot of it is based on we don't understand. But even things like, uh, you know, can, you know, questions, could Trump send in the troops to quell the insurrection? Um, no, the state has to ask Congress to send in troops to help them call the insurrection, right? We, so we, we, right. we have a lot I have to do this. Paul Engel, my guest coming to us from Tennessee. We're going to talk about the Constitution and we're going to talk about how you need to get involved instead of just watching Netflix. But <laughs> if you are going to watch Netflix, there's a movie I want you to watch. It's called The Stand at Paxton County. It really shares these constitutional challenges that we have in front of us. And this one's based on animal ownership and the attack on animal ownership. But it really speaks to what the rights of individual citizens are. So, Paul, when the next time you turn on Netflix, watch The Stand at Paxton County. We'll be back with more Roll Route on a Red Shirt Friday after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Loose on a Red Shirt Friday, the last Red Shirt Friday of September. September's gone, Paul. Are you ready for October? Uh, almost. Uh, I do have a. Uh, I actually have a gun show I'm going to this evening, uh, this weekend. Uh, talk to my peeps. Talk to the people who you know love liberty. So that will be the end of my September. And October is always an interesting time for me because my wife's birthday is at the end of October. So. <laughs> Yeah, have to make sure we, we don't forget you, that. That would be you, bad. You married a Halloween bride? Yes, I did. <laughs> well, hey, my birthday, well, hey, my birthday's in October, too. Well, you see, I don't ha- I'm not worried about remembering yours so much, but what's yeah. wonderful about having an October, a, a, a Halloween bride, uh, all the stores remind me when it's her birthday. 
I have not forgotten a birthday in 32 years of marriage. So uh, it's a good thing. Uh, surely it has nothing to do with the fact that every store has a witch on their front door now. Hey, I see. I start seeing witches and, and, and pumpkins and, and candy for sale. And I was like, oh, yeah, her birthday's coming up. I don't think your wife wants you to be reminded of her because there's a witch on the store door. <laughs> I didn't say she was a witch. Yeah, but it's I what reminds you of her birthday. That's troubling. <laughs> All right. Back in the Constitution. Uh, in case you're just joining us. Paul is an author, speaker, and founder of Constitutional Study. Ed Strathman has a question, and he's pontificating, thinking that this is true. I don't know if you can see the question, but Paul is thinking that the U.S. Constitution is loosely based on the Indian Confederation, Iroquois Indian Confederation. Anything to that? Uh, No. Uh, Actually, if you read the Founding Fathers, it is based on ideas mostly from – English history, not surprising, um, but you read a lot of uh, Locke and, and Blackstone um, and these ideas of, believe it or not, the 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 Bible, right? So uh, if you read Locke and Blackstone, you'll find that a lot of the ideas, ideas like separation of powers, mm-hmm. like the need to restrain a person's uh, natural habit to do wrong, um, flow into that into the lot of ranks of Locke and Blackstone, which got incorporated into the the Constitution. Uh, the idea of a of a union of a confederation is probably based more in some of the uh, some of the Greek city states. Um, but remember, when our founders created this country, um, we were not considered so much citizens of a United States. We were citizens of our state. So. The original Constitution, um, you were a, I, I'm a Tennessean, you're a Nebraskan, right? We weren't, mm-hmm. they didn't exist at that time, but, right. and then the question was, well, how can these states work together to protect themselves, to grow, to be, to, to fulfill their, what Jefferson called their manifest destiny? And the answer was, well, we need to work together. How do we do that? Believe it or not, they, they wrote a contract. The Constitution is a compact between these states which means it, in legal terms, it falls under contract law, a, a compact, a, a fancy term for an agreement between states. So, uh, no, it's not based on the Iroquois, but it is based on a lot of ideas through history, uh, both English and uh, and older. Well, you know, I, I marvel, and I know a lot of people marvel at uh, the visionaries the founding fathers were. And I, I don't think it's too complicated to figure it out because they were living – through the tyranny of the king in Great Britain. And so they tried to create something to prevent what they were living through. Isn't it that simple? Uh, yeah. And in fact, if you, when I, my book on the constitution, um, my, my classes where I cover it, I'd like to start with the declaration of independence mm-hmm. because the declaration of independence, there's actually a lot of really good meat there, but it describes, it lists the reasons why we declared independence. Now, I don't know about you, but in school, I was taught that it was, you know, taxation without representation. That was the one reason that was drilled into my head. And believe it or not, taxation without representation is in there. It is number 17 out of 27 specific grievances. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take that list of grievances and you look at the Constitution, you find that the Constitution, and especially a lot of the Bill of Rights, are designed to prevent the grievances that they had against Great Britain. 
So things like the Third Amendment, which we don't think about very much, the fact that uh, you can't have the government can't quarter troops in your home in peacetime came from a grievance that they were quartering large number of troops in our homes. We didn't like that. Um, the idea of um, what we what's referred to often as an independent judiciary comes from a grievance that, you know what, the, the judges were all dependent on the king. The king paid them. And we all know he who pays the piper calls the tune. Mm-hmm. So these ideas come from the, the declaration. So, yeah, they took the problems they had and said, how do we fix them? I, I didn't use the piper. I used the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the makes rules. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Tenth Amendment is kind of like the Third Amendment. It doesn't get enough attention. Maybe now, maybe it's that, that's part of the change as well. Are we going to get there? Well, unlike the Third Amendment, see, there's not a lot of call for quartering troops in our homes. Right? Now, there may be people who complain about the number of bases and all that, but you don't see a lot of violations of the Third Amendment. You don't see a lot of people complain. The Tenth Amendment, how, however, is extremely important. And although a lot of people know it, they, they seem to not apply it. Right. The, the Tenth Amendment, um, during the debates over the Constitution, once it was signed, as, as it was sent to the states for ratification, there were two political factions, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And the Federalists said, um, well, they disagreed on several things. You know, Federalists wanted a strong central government, Anti-Federalists not so much. But the Anti-Federalists wanted a Bill of Rights. They said the problem is there are no protections for individual rights in the Constitution. Now, the Federalists said, well, you don't need it because – there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the federal government the power to infringe on your rights. If they have no power, it's not going to happen. You start putting rights in the Constitution, some fool's going to get the general idea they can they can regulate that. What we ended up with was, okay, we ended up with the Massachusetts Compromise. We had the Bill of Rights and the Tenth Amendment, which says the power is not delegated to the United States nor prohibited by it to the states. I'm sorry. The power is not delegated to the United States in this Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states and the people, respectively. So think of it this way. Anything, any power that is not specifically in the Constitution that says, federal government, you can do this, mm-hmm. is a no-no. Right? It is legally, Ill, it is illegal for the federal government to do anything that they have not been delegated a power in, in the Constitution. This is the power of states' rights. So if it's not in the Constitution, was it, was it prohibited to the states? No. Well, then it belongs with the states. The states were supposed to be supreme. Now, the problem we run into is, A, people forget this, right? They, because perfect proof, right? When when COVID started going nuts, what did people do? They ran to the federal government. When when cities started having riots, what do they do? They ran to the federal government. Federal government has no power, no delegated power over these things. But the other problem is, if you read uh, Article 1, Section 8, which are the powers delegated to Congress, there's a thing called the General Welfare Clause. It says that, that Congress can pass laws to promote the general welfare of the United States. That means something very specific. The United States, in that case, is the, is the proper noun for the union of states. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not the general welfare of the people. It's not even the general welfare of the states. It's the general welfare of the union. But now we turn around and say, hey, uh, you know, hey, anything that is generally good, that's the general welfare, and, and we want the federal government to do that. That's not their job. They are extremely bad at it. 
uh, I don't know if you're finished there, Paul, but something just weighs heavy on my mind, and I hear it every single week. And that is that, you know, with the challenge that is happening in so many inner cities right now, I saw a report again this morning about Louisville and how bad Louisville, Kentucky is in Minneapolis, Chicago, Seattle. And I'll have friends who I know believe in the Constitution, but then they will tell me, uh, well, I just hope that after this election and Trump's reelected that he just goes in and fixes these problems. I don't. I do not want the president of the United States to come in and fix the problem in Omaha, Nebraska, or Hazard, Nebraska, for that matter. That is an overseeding of his power, if you understand the Constitution. This needs to be fixed by the state and the county. Yeah, you know, it's and, and you know, there's several things Trump has done that I like. There are several things he's done that I think are illegal. Um, we have to understand that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was it was quite proper for President Trump to talk to the states, talk to the cities, says, please request my help. Right? If you ask for my help, I will come right. in now. There's a problem with that because they're not supposed to be asking the president. They're supposed to be asking Congress. That's mm-hmm. what the Constitution says. But you're right. Every time we turn around, we go running to the federal government to fix the problem. The federal government – is part of it is the federal government is so far detached from the local reality. They are, um, you know, they, they don't know what's going on on the ground. They don't understand. They they don't have a relationship with the people that are there. Um, You know, I made made a very uh, bad mistake. We're enjoying this so much that my clock says I really screwed up. Neogen. Get more information about your genomics. Put a shining light on the future genetics at your place, and then we'll come back to Paul Engler. It's a rollout. Oh, by the way, Neogen is at neogen.com. You got that figured out, right? More Paul Engler after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Luce. Just so ingrained in the constitutional discussion that I lost complete track of time. Then I got all flustered. Then I called Paul Engel, Paul Engler. Do you know who Paul Engler is, by the way, Paul? No, I don't. Well, he grew up in Nebraska, Bassett, Nebraska, but he ended up on the plains of Texas, and he is, I'm giving him all the credit, he's the man who revolutionized cattle feeding and uh, ultimately created Cactus Feeders, which is a very prominent force in feeding cattle today, but more importantly, he just taught us how to efficiently feed cattle. So if I accidentally call you Paul Engler, take that as a compliment. It's Paul Engel. Yes, it is a which is actually German for angel, which is quite I ironic. I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't think I want to know what loose is German for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so way too many things are coming to mind here. <laughs> you know, with a guy a guy with a name loose, and then makes a radio program called Loose Tales, mm-hmm. there's just nothing you can't get away with. Yeah, setting yourself up, that's all. Yeah, although there are a lot of uh, emails that don't ever get to the people they're supposed to go to because when it comes from something at loosetails.com, yeah, no, it just sounds wrong. (laughs) It is T-A-L-E-S, though, just for the record. Uh, Okay, I had to so rudely interrupt you. Uh, We were in the middle of people sitting back saying, we need the federal government to come and fix, fix this. It's, it comes back to the governor. You've got to have a strong governor. Well, to- so, so yeah, part of the point was 
Um, understand the federal government is designed primarily to focus on foreign affairs and affairs between the states. That's where their power is desi- delegated. That's their design. Domestic affairs are supposed to be handled by the states. Now, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I feel terrible. I, I, I feel really badly for a lot of these people in these cities and these states that are going crazy. But let's face it. That is the consequence of the decisions that they've been making for decades. And uh, maybe, you know, uh, you know, I raised a daughter and sometimes she had, you know, she has to suffer the consequences of her bad decisions or she never learns. Um, you know, so in California where, uh, you, you know, people are being locked down, everyone's being treated like criminals in, uh, where was it, uh, North Dakota? I North heard Dakota. They want to make it a felony no. for you to not rat no. out your friends. Class B misdemeanor, but yeah. Oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's um, b- uh, where, you know, they want to ticket you and arrest you for not wearing a mask, for opening mm-hmm. your business. That's the people, the American people hire our representatives. Right? We live in a republic, not a democracy. That means the people hire representatives at all levels of government, and they work in our name. So when your representative, whether it be the state, or federal level, when they vote for legislation, they are putting your name on it. When you hire somebody that says, I'm not going to enforce a law, even though that's my job description, even though I swore an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States and the state and to enforce all the laws, if I'm not going to do it, who's really at fault? The person who lied to get the job or the person who not only hired them, but keeps hiring them? Congress has roughly a 10 to 15% approval rate over any, you know, 10 year period of time, mm-hmm. but yet 90 plus percent of the time they get reelected. Whose fault is that? Yeah. The voter, the voter, we don't take responsibility for the people we hire to work in our name. And then when they behave badly, we all go whine and call, Oh, it's terrible. Why isn't he doing this? What are the odds that the, that the vast majority of these mayors, and these governors that have proven themselves to be tyrants and unwilling to protect their people get reelected. That's what I want to see. Forget the federal government. I mean, the federal government has its issues, but until we're willing to look our mayor in the face and say, you lied, you broke your oath, you are unfit for duty. I don't care. They could put Bonzo, you know, they could put, uh, was it the, 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 the chimp that Reagan played against, right? Bonzo up. I'll vote for Bonzo before I vote for you because you are a liar. I can't trust you. Until I ha- I had a meeting with my uh, my county sheriff. I recommend everybody meet your county sheriff, talk with your county sheriff, get to know them, get to know their their stand. And um, my point was, you know, if I pick up the phone and dial nine one one, I want to make sure that the deputy that shows up at my door understands that his or her job is to protect the rights of people not to simply rubber stamp what some bureaucrat somewhere said. They swore an oath to the Constitution. In my case, of both the United States and the state of Tennessee, they're there to uphold it. Uh, if you had cows, Paul, it would be easy to get to know your sheriff because at some point in time they're going to show up and say, why are your cows out again? 
<laughs> Luckily, I've, I've had very little problem. I actually rent my land out for grazing, mm-hmm. um, and I've had very little problem. I've actually only had uh, a cow get out once. Of course, it was the bull, um, but well, his so yeah, job had, was done. He was seeking employment elsewhere. Uh, apparently, or just gra- the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. Yeah, it had nothing to do with grass, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he was all, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> he was unlike yeah. today's American. He was seeking another job. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> his, his, gig, his gig was up. He works in a gig exactly. economy. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he is in a gig economy. <laughs> I need another gig, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> Here, here's what I, there's so many things I struggle with, but from an elected, go ahead, you were going to say. Paul Phillips asked an interesting question. You can't believe what a politician is telling you. Let me ask you this. How can you tell when a politician is lying? Their lips are moving. When their lips are moving. What does it say about the American people that we not only hire people we know are lying to us, the ones that do it the best are the ones we hire over and over and over again? I, I don't understand that. There's something you said earlier, and I see it happening, and I just don't understand it. People, I, I'm not, I'm not confused about politicians. I'm not confused about how they'll tell you what they want to in a campaign promise, and then when they actually come to brass tacks and voting, they vote. Their, that's just human nature. Paul, what I don't understand is the people who are so socialistic minded today, who are willing to just go along. And be completely ignorant of what their individual rights as citizens of the Union of States. I think I'm going to start calling it the Union of States instead of the United States. I think it brings up a greater meaning. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's what Lincoln was trying to do. He said was preserve the Union. And I think that little era might be worthy of, of discussing because mm-hmm. I learned a lot from my Texas friends about that since high school. But how? Do, why are people so willing to just like sheep? Go off in a direction where they're told. So there's a, a kind of an unimportant, tongue-in-cheek, unimportant uh, founding father by the name of John Jay. Uh, if you don't know who John Jay is, uh, he helped negotiate and sign the Treaty of Paris that ended the Revolutionary War. He was in Congress debating the Constitution. He wrote several Federalist papers. He was the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And he has a quote, which is what I used when I founded the Constitution study. He says, every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country and teach the rising generation to be free. By knowing their rights, they will sooner perceive when they are violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. If I want to answer your question, we got to go back. Sure. We have stopped reading. The individual doesn't read and study the Constitution. We take our children, some of our most prized resources, and we hand them over to government and said, you teach them. Now, when I was a child, which you can tell from my gray hair was quite a while back, parents were involved. My mother volunteered at the public school. But nowadays, parents are being ostracized from school. And this has been going on for decades. 20 years ago, I had a mother tell me uh, of a meeting she had with a principal asking why she was not allowed to opt out her child out of a certain class and the principal said well we find if we give the parents an opt-out opportunity they tend to take it (laughs) what does that tell you (laughs) exactly but now so what we're seeing is we are seeing the results of decades of letting the government teach our children without any oversight 
um, of divorcing ourselves from uh, education, from not learning the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say, well, it's hard. You know what? You don't need to be a lawyer to read the Constitution. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand the Constitution. It was written in plain English. It was written so an 18th century farmer could understand it. You mean this one? That one, yes. You know, a couple huh. of words are spelled funny, but for the most part, it's simple. Yeah, a but couple of words know. are out of order of what I would normally speak, but otherwise it's kind of understandable. So what does he say? He said we should read it, which is good. Right? A lot of people do that. They show me their pocket constitution. We should study it. We should make sure we understand what it means and then teach the rising generation to be free. What has the rising generation been taught? They've been taught America is bad. Socialism is good. Why are we surprised that when a group of radical socialists from the 60s took over the education system and taught our children to that our parents, that their parents are stupid, that America is bad, that capitalism is bad, that socialism is wonderful. No, let's ignore the, the millions of people who were killed because of socialism. Let's ignore that the Nazi is the abbreviation for the National Socialist Party in Germany. Let's let's ignore the fact that you, that the Soviet Union was a union of Soviet socialist republics. Let's ignore all of that and teach our children to be slaves and teach them that it's, it not only is it good and right and proper, forget people's rights. You have a right to be, to, to tell other people how to live their life. And if they don't, you have the right to riot and burn and pillage and destroy. And no one's going to do anything about it. What have we taught them? This has been decades in the making and it's not going to be fixed quick, but believe it or not, the first step to fixing it based on my, not only based on my belief and research and study, but based on my own experience is if we go back and we read the constitution and we study it, we understand what it says. Do you realize? That uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can see this is going to be problematic. Do you realize <laughs> that's where you're going to pick it up, Paul Engel, when we come back with them? Already, I'm saying we're going to come back with the final segment. Before I get out of this one, I'm going to do it proper and diligently. Lone Creek Cattle Company provides you the opportunity to be a part of a branded beef program that'll put more money in your account. See, we have farmers getting 17% of the consumer's food dollar. That's not adequate. So Lone Creek has found a way to devise the farmer to get more of the consumer's food dollar. More details about certified Piedmontese, the myostatin gene, utilizing that neogen and identity test and seeing what the genomics are that are present. And in this case, it's genomics for tender beef. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Certified Piedmontese could be your future. Paul Engel, right after this. Welcome back to Rural Rot. Do you remember the phrase you were on, Paul? When I Do you realize? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I thought you got all salivating at the mouth over that Piedmontese commercial and you forgot that you mm. said, do you realize? Steak. Yes. So, a, good, a good ribeye. All right. So do you realize? Do you realize that it is a federal crime for someone under the color of law to deprive you of a, light, a right protected by the Constitution? To deprive me of what? A right protected by the Constitution or federal law. It is a crime. Yeah, I don't think so, most people know that. I doubt it because but, I've met a lot of people. Uh, 
uh, Paul, even worse, people don't know what their rights are. So uh, when this COVID foolishness, uh, the COVID excuse really struck back in March and April, uh, I was asked to put together a placard showing what are your rights. Uh, And the one I pick on the most is you have a Fifth Amendment right and a Fourteenth Amendment right to not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Mm -hmm. Right. So that means uh, mass mandates. They deprive you of the liberty to go about business however you want. That's a deprivation of rights. Um, Closing businesses is a deprivation of property. You own your business. It is your property. The government has no authority to tell you you cannot do business unless they've gone through due process. Due meaning what you're owed, meaning a process that protects the rights of the individual. So these governors and these mayors, and by the way, all the officials that are actually enforcing them, not only are depriving you of your rights, they are breaking the law. And under federal law, they can be fined or imprisoned up to one year. Now, why is that? And and it gets worse depending on how bad they act. But think of it this way. Um, we have I, we all know of examples of places around the, the, the country of people suing to keep their businesses open, people suing to uh, uh, live at liberty, to live at freedom, to, to keep their property. If let's say um, the, the John MacArthur has a is dealing with California and Los Angeles. Right. So if he mm-hmm. sues Los Angeles for depriving him of his ability to, to open his church and pr- conduct services. Who pays the bill? The people of the city of Los Angeles. So if you're the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, what do you care if you get sued? It doesn't cost you anything. However, if Mr. MacArthur were to pick up the phone, call his local FBI office, have charges pressed against the mayor of Los Angeles, criminal charges for depriving him of his rights under color of law, That means that the mayor of Los Angeles might have to pay a fine and the mayor of Los Angeles might go to jail. Now, what are the odds of that actually happening right now? Slim to none. But what do you you know anybody that's pressed the issue and tried to make it happen? No. And and I've talked to several people and I've made recommendations, but um, uh, I don't know of anybody that's that's actually gone ahead and done it. But here's the interesting thing. How many people dropping a dime on the uh, to the FBI will it take before a politician starts has, having to answer some very uncomfortable questions? Three. When do we start holding our elected officials accountable? If you break the law, I don't want the people to pay the price. I want the person who broke the law to pay the price. I can, That's it. That, I, I'm just uh, – my mind is just going crazy because – that's the reason that so many people, almost going to label them all as bureaucrats, get away with whatever they get away with because they feel like they have this comfort of, I'm an individual, but I'm representing the government. Sue me if you want to. But they've never come at them personally. Correct. Now, there's still a lot of problems that need to be worked out. There's still a lot of, of judicial opinions that need to be overturned. And that's a whole that's a whole other kettle of fish. But if I want to say that a Marty Bro- blog, a beard plug right there, kettle no. of fish. I think it was. No. I think I'm that, charging that, him. For that would have been a Vata catfish. That's something different. Um, <laughs> but uh, to circle back to what to John Jay's quote, right? So yeah. we need to read and study and educate. But look what you get for doing that. You recognize when your rights are being violated. 
I spend a fair amount of my time answering questions from people. Is this legal or not? Is this constitutional? Is this a violation of my rights? If you read and study, you can start recognizing those when your rights are being violated. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be prepared to both defend them and assert them. Okay, so I got a question. Uh, So every place now, whether last night I walked into a a convenience store and there's a great big sign on on the front door that says, no, it wasn't a convenience store. It was a place of business. I walked in the front door, do not enter without a mask. I walked in, the guy behind the counter wasn't wearing a mask. (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, what, what, why is the sign there? Somebody tell you, you have to put it there. So you're telling me my rights as an individual citizens, but let me just be devil's advocate for a moment because that's a business owner that has rights as well in his business. How does that play out? If he thinks people coming in his business should be wearing a mask. I'm just using today's, this applies to anything, but the mask is the example. How does that apply to either who's got the superseding rights? That is. So if, if, I have a whole class on defining a right. Right? Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot to it, but I I summarize it in two simple sentences. For you to legitimately exercise a right, you must not infringe on the legitimate right of another. So for a right to be legitimate, you must be able to exercise it without infringing on the rights of another. So the example you have of a business, if it's a private business, a private entity, the owner, whether that be an individual or stockholders in a corporation, they own that property. They have the right to set the terms and conditions for entering or doing business with that property. So when a business puts a sign up that says, wear a mask, they are perfectly within their rights to do so. The fact that their employees don't enforce that is an internal problem, but they have the right to do so. The government has no authority to tell you in public, you must wear a mask. That is a deprivation of liberty without due process, unless the government can come in and show, hey, you know, Mr. Engel, you have been tested for COVID-19. You've tested positive. uh, Therefore, we believe you may be communicable. Um, We want you to stay at home. If you don't stay at home, um, we want you to wear a mask. We've done this because we've done the test. We've gone through a process to protect your rights, right? You, if, if I'm a danger to other people, they're trying to protect the rights of other people. But to simply blanket say everybody, uh, no. In fact, uh, I was at a curriculum fair a couple months ago, and the county had just passed a, man- a mass mandate. We were on private property, so we we were exempt. But uh, the 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 coordinator came over and we were talking. I said, "No, you know, the the county can't do that. Uh, it's illegal. Uh, by the way, you know, it's a federal crime. You know, if the police show up." You know, I said, here's the paperwork. She goes, if the police show up, I'm sending them to your table. Because I was the only one there that could that could quote and say, no, this is a violation of my rights. This is right. a violation of federal law. I will tra- I will call and press charges. Okay, we got to back up to something because you said, here's what I heard you say. The mm-hmm. county had implemented a mask mandate. We were exempt because we were on private property. Is that what you said? Uh, yep. We were on private property. So even in a county where there's a a mandate from because everybody's using the the county health department as the example, uh, they can't mandate something on my private property. I just want to really emphasize that. Correct. And so the, the, the two things we need to recognize. One is we have to recognize that we live in a state where the emperor has no clothes. 
Second time this week that quote has come up on this program, and it wasn't me either time. Go ahead. <laughs> By the way, that dates back to uh, 1400. Yes. Just right. so you know. The idea. <laughs> Never mind. I'm telling you anything. I'm not going to tell you anything. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> so just because a government doesn't have the legal authority to do it, if everybody goes along with it, what are you going to do? Right. right. You need to be that young child, the kid that stands up and says, no, he's naked. You, that that's what we need. The government has no authority to do this. No, there's a there's a, a a gym in New Jersey that is fighting a state that's that is trying to destroy them and their business, and they just refuse to comply. You know, I, I I've dropped the term, um, uh, uh, you know, civil disobedience. No, it is peaceful noncompliance. They are not going to comply with illegal orders, with mm-hmm. illegal law. They're not going to do it. And these guys are, it's Attila's gym uh, in southern New Jersey. They simply say, no, we will not comply with an illegal order. They're the kids saying, the, the governor is naked. He has no authority to do this. It takes, it, it takes people who know, and you, it, it takes brave people who are willing to stand in front of, a, in front of law enforcement and say, um, no, you have no legal authority. I will not comply with an illegal order recognizing that you may be walking off in bracelets. But how many of those does it take before people start looking and going, maybe they're not as, as crazy as we thought. Mm-hmm. Apparently quite a few, because we have had some. But very few. Think about it. How many yeah. people How many people do we actually know of that have stood up and said, no, we will not. I mean, it's one thing to, to complain and sue, have stood up and said, no, we will not comply. You've got the gym in New Jersey. You've got the, the hairdresser in, in Texas. You've got the church in California. Are there more? Can you can you name others? Uh, well, and I'm best, sure there are. We the, just don't hear about them. The best freedom fighter I know personally uh, because I met him and you were with his wife at the event mm-hmm. that brought us together is LaVoy yeah. Panicum. He was willing to die and did. He because he understood his rights and uh, he, he was a target because of that. Yep. And the sad part is he was not killed defending his rights. He was, in my opinion, set up, possibly even assassinated because he would defend his rights. Right. Um, you know, if we think about our founding fathers, if we think about the generation that brought us this liberty, you think about um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I regret that I have but one life to to give to my country, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. He was um, it was Patrick Henry, wasn't it? No, but there's there's one story I love. I love this story. I I use it a lot. Uh, we're familiar. You're, you're familiar with the Battle of Lexington and Concord, right? Yes. Uh, those battles were fought because, among other things, the British were coming to confiscate the colonists' gunpowder. It was a gun control law. They were met on Lexington Green by the Massachusetts militia. The British commander ordered the militia to lay down their arms and disperse. The militia commander, a gentleman, uh, sorry, Nathan Hale. Thank you, David. Nathan Hale was going to say, I regret I have one life to live. The British commander, jumped by the name of um, Captain John Parker, issued the orders. He said, stand your ground. Do not fire unless fired upon. But if they mean to have war, let it begin here. Mm Mm-hmm. When will American people say, no, stand our ground, no more, done? No, we are not going to aggress, but we will defend ourselves. And if you want to fight over this, I'm going to fight so that our my child, my children, and grandchildren don't have to. 
Um, when you said done like 17 seconds ago, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's the word I have to use. You're done. <laughs> we will do this again. I This pains me to say this, but Marty Beard has never been more right. Thank you, Paul Engel. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connected world in urban America. And David Chattick was right, too. Oh, my goodness. This is just a win-win day for everybody. Have a great weekend. Remember, all roads do lead to a roll route.